Man, I just love to hear Billy pray. Man, I love that God prays over me. Well, uh, good morning. It's great to see you all here. If you're a visitor here, uh, my name is Jason Williams. I have the honor of pastoring the church here and working with a body of elders among whom Billy serves and, uh, and four others, uh, or three others currently. And tonight we're going to make it five others officially. I'll tell you more about that later. Um, but it is an honor to be with you this morning to open God's word with you. Um, is some of you have already had a couple people ask me, is it too late? Is there still a need for um, financial help for the Philippines trip? So there um, are 11 of us headed out, um, roughly $22,000 to get us there, which sounds like a lot of money until you factor in three different airplanes, um, multiple rental vehicles, um, including motorcycles with wooden things on the side that we sit on, uh, bamboo rafts, and, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, we're really excited about this trip. Um, this is a group we've been working with now for three years, and uh, we're hoping to bring them clean water this year. We're taking a, a way to drill a well, water well, with my hand. And uh, not only that, we're hoping to potentially even leave that with this tribe. Uh, but Jeff mentioned this last week that there's a new tribe that has formed um, out, in this, out in this area of 20 families. And so we potentially will even take a, some of us will take a long hike out to this village with um, with the intention of being the first foreigners that they'll ever see, but obviously the first missionaries bringing the gospel. And so this is a really exciting two weeks that, that is in front of us. And if you're still desiring to help give financially, only if God puts that on your heart, I don't want anybody to feel obligated or pressured into that. Um, just know there's still some financial need to get the team there uh, to help pay, cover all the costs to get there. And so I just wanted you to know that. If that's you, be sure you write on the envelope, Philippines Missionaries. That allows our money counters and finance team to know where that money needs to go. So I want you to know about that. All right. Uh, we're going to start in Leviticus 16. So it's an exciting book in the Old Testament, Leviticus 16. And then we're going to make our way to Hebrews in the New Testament. And so if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been in a sermon series going through the book of Hebrews, which is a book in the New Testament that's a fantastic commentary and explanation of the Old Testament and how to see Jesus in books like Leviticus and Numbers and Psalms. And so uh, what we're going to do today, though, is we're going to start in the Old Testament in Levit Leviticus 16, uh, to look at the role of the priest, because when we get to the book of Hebrews, um, Jesus is proclaimed to us as a better priest. And so we're going to start in the Old Testament, Leviticus 16, then we'll end up in Hebrews 4 uh, and Hebrews 5 in just a few minutes. And so um, just a little refresher on where we've been so far. Um, we've made it through the first four chapters of, Levitic, or of Hebrews, and in every chapter, um, the author of Hebrews wants us to see Jesus as better, better than everything, better than the angels, better than, uh, better than any uh, law of Moses, better than Moses himself, better than any person in the Old Testament that you may look up to as a great example. Jesus is superior. He's better because he's the son of God. He's better. And so today what we're going to look at is Jesus is a better priest. And so if you're taking notes or want to take notes, we put uh, little blank sermon notes in front, of the, in front of you in those chairs. Feel free to snag one of those. And so before we can understand why and how Jesus is a better priest, we need to look at the priest in the Old Testament, uh, what the priest's function was. And, and so uh, Leviticus 16 is a great oversight of the role of the priest and kind of an explanation on what the priest uh, was to do. In addition to sacrificial duties, um, you may not know this, the priest in the Old Testament also um, adjudicated legal matters. They served as judges on uh, on matters that were disputed between the, the people of, of God. And so um, they not only that, they helped maintain the temple to make sure that everything was in place. They made sure that you know, there were no construction needs or uh, they, the cleanliness of the temple. All that was under the responsibility of the priest. And so uh, in Leviticus 16, 
We'll just read a few verses, the first five to start with. Uh, This is God speaking to Moses. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, and when they drew near before the Lord and died, and the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. So let me just explain. So Aaron, the the brother of Moses, is set apart as the the high priest, the chief priest. At one time, his sons were part of that. Uh, Didn't work out so well for them. And so now God is speaking through Moses to Aaron to explain to him that he can't just enter into the holy holies of God whenever he wants, however he wants, but there's a very specific time and a very specific way to enter into the holy of holies. And so for the Hebrew people, the holy of holies was the place where God's presence was. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was, the mercy seat. And God's very presence was veiled behind this really thick, uh, or this very thick, ordinate, um, beautiful curtain that hid the presence of God from the sins of the people. And so the priest then was only allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement once a year. And there's a very specific way in which the priest had to enter so that he wasn't struck dead. But his job, his role was to be a mediator between the people with sin and God who'd had no sin, who was holy. And so he would go into the Holy of Holies once a year and offer a sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the people. And so God's speaking to Moses, telling him to tell Aaron, hey, don't just do this however you want, whenever you want. Verse 3. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban and these are the holy garments and so I don't want to spend too much time here but we can see God is very specific and very detailed about the way in which the, the priest would dress and also in which the priest would enter Verse 5, and he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering It was his job, it was his role, his primary function. Go in once a year on behalf of the sins of the people. Look at verse 11. Just a little explanation here. Aaron, chief priest, shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself. This is different, right? He's not only going in to offer sacrifices on behalf of the sins of the people. He has to start with offering a sacrifice on behalf of his sins. Why? Because he's not a clean man. He lived a very legalistic life. Pursued holiness, but at the end of the day, every human priest is sinful. So he had to start by offering sins for himself. So he made atonement for himself and for his house, verse 7. Verse 11, excuse me. And he shall take atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself, verse 12. And he shall take a censer. This is one of those swinging things. They put incense in and smoke comes out of it. He shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil, going beyond the veil, verse 13, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat. Why would he do that? Well, that is over the testimony so that he does not die. Verse 14, he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat, On the east side and in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his fingers seven 
times. And we're going to stop there. A lot of detail, right, over specifically how the priest is to enter into the Holy of Holies. There's some traditional uh, teachings among the, the Hebrew people that, he, that they would even tie a rope around the priest in case he was struck down dead so they could drag him out. And there's no biblical precedence for that. We could see practically how that would happen, right? So like if the priest goes down, who's going to get him? Not me. You go get him. And we know that from the Old Testament, the way the garments were described, they had bells on the bottom, and you could hear them moving in the, around in the temple and into the Holy of Holies and, and offering the sacrifices. Maybe that was part of it, too. You listen for the bells to stop, and then you know, hey, somebody's going to have to go get this guy. He didn't make it. Now, of all the sermons that we'll cover in the book of Hebrews, personally, I'm most thankful for this one. As I serve as a pastor here at the church and, and as, some, you know, as a leader here, and some would look to me as a spiritual leader, I am so thankful that there is not a role for a human high priest anymore. I would make a lousy high priest. I mean, ask my wife, right? Like, I'm going to have to take more than one bull in to offer sacrifice for my sins. Ask anybody who, who knew me growing up. I would make a horrible priest on behalf of you. I wouldn't even do well covering for my own sins. So there was this human priest who, year after year, this high priest who had this amazing responsibility to mediate between the sinfulness of the people and the holy presence of God. And only once a year he was allowed to enter through the veil into the holy presence of God, and he would swing the incense to cover the mercy seat to kind of shroud the presence of God from him so that he wasn't struck down dead. And there he would offer the blood as an atonement for our sins. Now, we get to Hebrews. We'll read a, a verse from chapter 4 that we covered last week, and then we'll jump to chapter 5. So in Hebrews, this is in the New Testament, we get this explanation of the high priest and what his role was and how Jesus is a better priest. In verse 14, this is again from last week, chapter 4, 14, the author says this, Since then we have a great high priest, by the way, that's... Mentioned in the book of Hebrews eight times in reference to Jesus, the high priest. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Now chapter 5 then, verse 1, we're going we're to get some explanation on how and why Jesus is a better high priest than Aaron or the sons of Aaron or any, any man who's ever operated as a priest on behalf of man. So verse 1 of chapter 5, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. So there's, this person is in a really, uh, between, between a rock and a hard place, right? So this, this man is, is representative of, of sinful people. Now as a, a sinful person himself, he was able to relate with the sins of the people, right? Like he understood what guilt felt like. He understood how how hard it was to shake the, the feeling of shame. You know, days, months, years after um, decisions had been made, he, he, he knew what it was like to feel the weight and the burden of having let God down or disappointed people or having hurt people with his words and actions. So on one hand, he made a good priest because he was able to relate with the people really well. But the struggle was, right, he himself had to courageously enter and very cautiously enter into the presence of God to offer the sacrifices. And the problem was he himself wasn't qualified and wasn't fit to enter. And so verse 2 says, He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. I, I love that verse. 
right? That's telling me that the priest had, had no problem dealing with ignorant people because he himself was ignorant on some level, right? So I love that as a pastor that encourages me. When I mess up, I just think, God, this is how you designed me so that I can re- relate with all the people. Why? Because I'm one of you, right? There's nothing about my life that you need to be looking to for salvation, right? My job is not to tell you to follow me or be like me or the role of the elders of our church isn't to say, this is what you need to be like. Our job is to simply be a mirror and say, this is what Jesus looks like. Go, go after him. Be like him. Pursue him. Can you imagine the pressure of the, these priests in the Old Testament, though? The people were counting on them. Counting on them to have covered all their sins, to have confessed everything perfectly. I mean, they were counting on them to get dressed perfectly in order to go into the presence of God and offer the sacrifice for sins. And so, naturally, the priest would deal gently with the people because he could relate, right? Who was he to come down hard on the people? Verse 3. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And this is why earthly or human priests make lousy priests. Right? Because the very thing they're going to do and to fix in us is broken in them. I don't don't want a priest who struggles like I struggle. I don't want to count on that guy. And, and, and I certainly don't want to be that guy, right? Now, in our current uh, modern-day context, unless you are a part of a certain, maybe a certain denomination, we don't, we don't officially uh, observe the role of the priest, right? There's certain denominations still do, but we don't. We don't have that person in our church that we call the priest. Jesus is our priest. We have elders and pastors and leaders and so on and so forth, but we don't acknowledge the role of the priest, and I'm, and I'm not knocking on those denominations that do. I'm just saying human beings make lousy priests. Right? I mean, maybe to, uh, to serve as a judge between disputes and civil matters, I'm good with that. Right? We have human judges who sit uh, in courts who judge. Over, but over eternity? Over whether or not I get to spend eternity with God or not? I don't want a person making that decision over me. I don't trust that. And so the author of Hebrews, in just a couple verses, is explaining to us why humans make lousy priests. And and you may not be a person who formally recognizes the role of priest, but we have pseudo-priests in our lives, right? People that we count on to mediate. You may be here today, and and maybe you're a man, and your wife is is an awesome, God-fearing, faithful woman. And in some ways, you're just counting on her to to be able to open up the door to get you in. So, like, when you get before God, and he says, why should I let you in? You can say, because I was married to her. Right? Like, come on. She's awesome. She is awesome. But what about you? I see a lot of times in in marriages where one spouse counts on the other to do all the spiritual work and to be the mediator. And, man, as awesome as our wives are, men, our wives make lousy mediators and priests. Others, maybe your parents or your grandparents, they were faithful, godly people. They took you to church. And so maybe you're still resting on the foundation that they laid, trusting that because you know them, you get in. Now, now here's the thing. It is important who you know. It is. Um, I was thinking about uh, a few years ago um, at one of the uh, Alito High School Championship games um, at the uh, Cowboys Stadium. I, I went to the stadium with my wife and we 
bought our tickets, or actually they were given to us, whatever they cost, 5 or $10. And so we came in and, and got our cheap seats. But then there was a member of our church who had access to the Benny Keith suite. And so we were texting, finding out where everybody's seated, and we realized they were in the suite. And so we're like, well, sweet, is there any room in the suite? <laughs> and sure enough, there was. And so they actually came and got us because we didn't have the passes to go back you know, to where the suites were, came and got us and walked us back to the Benny Keith suite right there, 50-yard line, TV right in front of your face to the point where you don't even watch the game on the field anymore kind of deal. Like, and here's the thing. It was a high school game, but still, all the food and drinks and amenities were out. Like, we were something. Like, we were supposed to be there. And, you know, here's the thing. Like, we weren't supposed to be there, but we were allowed to go there because of who we were with. Because who we were with had permission, Right? And so you need to think about that in terms of your own relationship with God. Who is it that you're counting on that you know that's going to let you in? Your spouse, your friends, your grandparents, right? And so the point of Jesus being the high priest is that if you know him, you get in. I don't want any person taking that role in my life. Human priests make lousy mediators between man and God. Verse 4, Jesus is going to be compared to Aaron, who we just read about. Uh, and no one takes his honor for himself, but only when God or when called by God, just as Aaron was. So Aaron didn't pursue that office. God picked him. Okay, so Aaron was a high priest. God picked him in the same way, verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. There's a quote from Psalm 2, verse 7. So explaining how the Old Testament points to Jesus. Verse 6, and he says also in another place, this is going back to Psalm 110, you are a priest forever after the order of Mechizedek. And now we're going to come back in a couple weeks and get to Mechizedek. So don't let that trip you up today, okay? Just don't just, just disregard it if you want to. We'll hit it again in a few weeks and explain the role and why that was a significant comparison to Jesus. But right now he's being compared to Aaron, the, the human priest. So Aaron was picked because God called him in the same way Jesus was called out of humility as a high priest on our behalf. Verse 7. Talking about Jesus, in the days of his flesh. This is a way that the author wants us to understand Jesus, the Son of God, took on a full-on human experience. He didn't come down exalting himself, running over people. He came humbly as a servant Put on our flesh, he felt our pain, he felt our sorrow, our suffering. We've talked about it in here before. Knows what it, what it feels like to want to cry so bad your throat hurts. Knows what it feels like to, to, to die physically. He humbled himself as our high priest. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. It was something the, the priests in the Old Testament would do. They would offer up their, their prayers with loud cries and tears and lamenting. But it's different here with Jesus. With loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So Jesus is just being laid out as this awesome priest on our behalf. Verse 8, although he was a son, fully God, he learned obedience through what he suffered, fully man. Fully God, fully man, verse 9, and being made perfect. So this idea of being fully God and fully man made Jesus a perfect priest on our behalf. And he's going to explain why. Look at this. He was made perfect. 
And being made perfect, verse 9, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now Jesus is being compared not just to Aaron, but to the role of the high priest. Jesus is a better priest. Let's think about it for just a minute. What do we know about the life and death and the ministry of Jesus that makes him a better priest? He just laid out the fact that he was fully man and fully God. So remember the high priest was able to be gentle with the people. Why? Because he was a sinner. So he was able to relate with people and he was able to understand their sufferings that made the, the high priest in the Old Testament a good high priest. That's true of Jesus too, right? He walked in our flesh. He, he suffered as we suffered. So in terms of being able to relate with us, he can do that. So as Jesus enters into the holy of holies beyond the veil, he does so not as a far-off deity who doesn't know what it's like to struggle and to to suffer and to deal with depression and sorrow and and anguish and and despair and to be uh, cast out and to be ignored and to be not chosen first. And, And all those human things we experience, right, that hurt, Jesus enters into the holy presence of God with the full experience of humanity. But he does so qualified with the full qualifications of divinity. Fully human, fully God. What a perfect priest. See, the presence of the Holy God doesn't have to be shrouded from Jesus. This isn't a tie a rope around his leg, and if he doesn't make it, let's drag him back out kind of deal, right? Let's don't, we don't have to listen for the bells. Why? Jesus enters in boldly, qualified, able to relate, a perfect mediator between God and man. Now what we're going to do is we're going to go back to where we started in chapter 4, verse 14. We're going to read 14, 15, and 16 now. This beautiful understanding of Jesus as the better priest. So if you're in Hebrews 5, just back up a little bit to Hebrews 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That makes more sense now, doesn't it? We don't have a high priest who's unable to know what it's like to struggle. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet... What makes him a great high priest, a better high priest, is the last part of that, yet without sin. Jesus doesn't walk into the presence of God and have to cover for his own sin first before he can offer sacrifices on behalf of us. Better high priest. Here's verse 16 where I want to get today. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. Now, that's different from the way that they approached the presence of God in the Old Testament. You you may or may not know this, but at the death of Jesus, this temple curtain was actually torn from top to bottom. And this this dude was thick. I mean, thick. Wasn't just a snag in in the material, like a thick, inches thick curtain was torn from top to bottom that shrouded the presence of God at the death of Jesus. What is that telling us? What? Access to God's presence has now been opened up. That wasn't to let God out. That was to let us in. And so Jesus, as a high priest, doesn't have to worry about his own sin, and he also doesn't have to wait and go in once a year in the special day of atonement. Jesus eternally, permanently resides at the right hand of the Father, continually 
offering sacrifices on our behalf. Now think about that. In the Old Testament, you want, you want to pray to God, you want to speak to God, you go through the priest, and you hope that once a year he would take those petitions before the Lord. Now, because of Christ, we have unfettered, unending access to the holiness of God. That's what happens when you pray. Otherwise, who are you talking to? Think about that. When you pray, if you're truly praying, you're talking to this holy God who would strike people down dead for the sake of their sin in the Old Testament. Now Jesus, as this permanent sacrifice priest on our behalf, is there the whole time, all the time. You wake up at 3 a.m. and you think, I, I'm, I, I feel sorry, I need to pray. Something's going on in my mind, I need to pray. You don't have to wait till you get here for somebody to go on your behalf. At that moment, right then, you acknowledge the presence of God. You enter in and you pray and you speak to a holy God because Jesus is there interceding, mediating for you at that moment at 3 a.m. You don't have to wait till Sunday morning to spend time with God. Monday morning, 8 a.m., you drive to work. You can spend time in the presence of God because Jesus is there mediating on your behalf in that moment. He's a better priest. But not only that, we're about to take communion together. And as we take communion today, I want us to think about this. Not only is Jesus a better priest because he's, he's able to enter into the presence of God without having to cover for his own sin, but you realize he didn't take any animals with him to the cross? Do you notice that? There are no crosses for the bull and the goat and all the other animals. Why? He became our sacrifice. When we take communion as Christians, that's what we're celebrating. Our high priest offered himself as the sacrifice. No other sacrifice will do. We'll get to that in Hebrews 10. We needed a perfect sacrifice, one that was without blemish, without sin. And so Jesus says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm the only one qualified to enter into the presence of God. I'll come and I'll be a human being for 33 plus or minus years. I'll live it out perfectly. I'll know what it means to suffer and be tempted, to struggle and to be human. But I'll also be qualified to stand before a holy God on your behalf. What sacrifice will I take? Bulls won't do. Spotless lambs won't do. So tell you what, I'll do it for you. I'll offer myself. And that's why at the cross, at his death, the temple curtain is torn from top to bottom. Whew. Jesus is a better priest. And I, for one, am grateful. He's the perfect mediator. He's the only priest who offers himself as the sacrifice. He takes us with him into the Holy of Holies. He opens up the presence of God unending and unfettered. So therefore, verse 16, chapter 4, let us with confidence draw near. This is a really important part of Christianity. It's a personal relationship with God. The folks in the Old Testament had to live out their relationship with God through the holy man. They want to know what God was like. They would talk to him after he came back. Moses, what was it like to be in God's presence? Aaron, what was it like? This is different now in Christ. You get to go in. And not because you're awesome or perfect or because you got your church clothes on, right? But because you're with him, you get to go in. With confidence, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I want to stop here, and we're going to take communion in just a moment. Um, I'm going to ask uh, in just a second our worship leader, Jason Lewis, to come back up. Um, I just want to stop for a minute because I don't know everybody here, and maybe, um, maybe you're not a Christian. 
Maybe you're kicking the tires on what it means to be a Christian or you're still trying to find out if this is the the right way for you. And I just want you to know that the universe we live in is sovereignly governed by a holy God. Holy God. Perfectly righteous and holy, no flaw. And not only that, so that's why we call him king of kings. But not only that, we also call him father. And the reason we do that is because while he resides as king of all kings, he also wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants you to have unending, unfettered access to him every day of your life for guidance and comfort. And and more importantly, when this life is over for you, to secure your eternity. And so the beautiful news of Jesus is that by faith and faith alone, you can have this relationship with God. What sacrifices do I need to bring? Jesus says, don't bring any. I have already brought the sacrifices. Well, what do I need to do? Where do I need to sign up? Do I need to, do I need to give some money? What, what do I need to do? How, do? how do I get in? Jesus says, I've already done everything. All you need to do is believe. Faith alone, grace alone, we're saved. And so if that's you today, I'm going to encourage you to accept the invitation that God has laid out for you to trust Jesus as your priest. Maybe you're one of those folks who's been counting on your significant other or your family members who are religious to get you in. And and I'm just going to tell you that might work for the Benny Keith suite, but that won't work for eternity. You need to know Jesus. And he's here today saying to you, come with me. I'll get you in. Come with me. Simply believe. And I'm going to pray for us now, if that's you, that today would be the day you accept that invitation. Um, We're going to have throughout the rest of our service um, folks in our church who we call our prayer partners. Um, They're just people just like us. And, uh, but they're going to be in the back, um, kind of back here in our corner, and they're available to pray with you. If today um, you make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time, I'm going to encourage you to go share it with them. Let them pray over you and tell you more about the journey and just answer any questions that you have. And so in just a moment as we, as we um, prepare our hearts for communion, I'm going to encourage you to do that. Um, right now, though, for those of you who are Christians, as we prepare our minds and our hearts to take communion together, In just a few minutes, we'll have our communion servers down at the front and at the back, and we're going to invite you to come up when you're ready and take the elements. But before then, could we just take our mind and our heart and and, and begin to fixate them on Jesus, the high priest, so that when we take communion today, we could be celebrating together the priest who also made himself the sacrifice on behalf of our sins. And so there's a lot to be thankful for this morning as we take communion. So what I want to do now is I want to pray as um, Jason Lewis comes back up. And, uh, and, and I'm not going to say amen, okay? So that, that's my way of saying I'm leaving the prayer hanging for you. And where you're seated, where you're at, I don't want you to feel obligated to move. Just, just stay in attitude of prayer. Maybe there's some things you want to um, get off your chest before God. Do that. Maybe you want to just express your gratitude for the way he's blessed your life recently. Do that. Maybe you're in the midst of a struggle and you just want to talk to him about your struggle. I'm going to encourage you to, to do that. But let's allow God to get our hearts and our minds prepared to take communion. So for now, let's just remain in an attitude of prayer. And, uh, and then just a few minutes, we will uh, we'll take communion together. Heavenly Father, we're so, so grateful. Uh, despite how unqualified we are, despite our imperfections, you've made a way for us to have a relationship with you. And I know for a lot of people, especially here in the U.S., um, Jesus is more of a, a good luck charm, um, a, a name to put on a bumper sticker, uh, something to hang around the mirror or to print on a T-shirt. But 
But today you showed us from the scriptures that Jesus is so much more than that. He's not a good luck charm. Jesus is our faithful high priest. This morning, God, would you, would you turn our thoughts and our affections towards Jesus that as we prepare to take communion in a few minutes, that we would celebrate together our high priest who became a sacrifice for our sins, the salvation that we have in him, God, securing our eternity. Holy Spirit, we ask for you to move among us now and continue to lead us as we pray. In Jesus' name.